And with that, we welcome you back to a fresh episode, the midweek show for the One Giant Podcast, where as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, and over there is the healthy, wealthy, and wise Andy Makowitz. Feeling good. Yankees got a win, big win last night. So hopefully there's some good New York sports vibes heading to the Giants on Sunday. You better believe it. Um, We probably should have touched base doing a lot of preparation for this episode. Obviously, a lot of different things we want to touch on for the Giants in this midweek. I'm trying to let's bring it back down. Let's go ahead and level ourselves back off. Right. Before we dive in to uh, a couple of news and notes around the team and then also some real questions that we have. And we're we're concerned, I guess you'd say, as a lot of Giants fans are right now. And some changes may, in fact, be coming to Big Blue. But as we did last week, and will be a little bit of a rolling theme here, Wednesday, Andy, it's the This Day in History segment of the One Giant Podcast. And I didn't go all the way back to the 1930s for this one. You should have a frame of reference here. This day in 2007, the Giants had a victory in their division. Do you know who that was against? Mm, that I'm is. I'll give you good odds. I'm giving you good odds here. That is a good one. I am going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. Sir, you are correct. 16 to 13 in a game where Eli Manning lit it up for 135 passing yards. This was win number two in what would be their six game win streak inside of that nine and seven season, obviously up and down at the back end. But then they went on that great wild card run in the playoffs to win a championship under one loved, beloved and missed Thomas Coughlin. So we, we we hopefully bring back a positive memory to the people before we turn our attention over to the current New York football Giants roster and the current New York football Giants quarterback. Let's keep those positive vibes going, Andy, where I tell you that maybe you don't know this, but Daniel Jones is actually in fantastic early career company. Do you have any 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 inclination as to why this guy might be might be really feeling pretty good about himself right now as we look towards week four? Maybe because the Giants were getting wins in 2007, scoring 16 points a game, and that's right around what they're averaging right now. Could that be it, Adam? Tragically, that would only lead to one win this season because they've only actually gotten there once at 16 points in spite of that margin. The big number there was three for the Philadelphia Eagles. No, listen, for whatever it's worth, and we are fans of Daniel Jones. We still believe in him, obviously. Uh, We've been uh, quarterbacks and otherwise pretty consistent with our approach of you want to give players an opportunity to learn, to grow and get better. And especially at the quarterback position, you know, you're going to take their lumps. So just for sake of argument, let's remember friends that Peyton Manning went three and 13 in his rookie season as an NFL quarterback. There are several other ones who only had three or fewer wins over their first 15 starts. And that's, you know, we're in that wheelhouse right now for Daniel Jones that include pro football hall of famers, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Warren Moon, Dan Fouts, Fran Tart, Parkinson and Bart Starr, plus bonus names like Vinny Testaverde and Archie Manning. So, you know, you can you can say that somewhere in that spectrum, Daniel Jones may lie. But the good news is, or maybe at least, you know, we, we see this from quarterbacks. We see this around the league, right? Not every first start of the season, every 16 game sample size is Patrick Mahomes. There's going to be a spectrum here. And while the turnovers have been concerning for Jones, you can always say, hey, this is season number one right now for him after those first three games because he came in late last year in his rookie season. 
And as this year moves along, let's start to see the progression and let's continue to look for signs that he's showing growth and continue to be the, the franchise quarterback for the Giants. Well, I think one interesting note on all of that is teams don't let you lose that many games unless they see some something from you that they think that they can build on. You yes. know, some of these other quarterbacks that are young either come in halfway through their rookie season, you know, that they, they kind of protect them and make them sit for quite a while. You know, Daniel Jones has, has you know, he sat for the first two games and then, then came out right after um, the Dallas Cowboys game. You know, it, it says that the, the, the coaching staff and the GM and the organization have faith in Daniel Jones and that the wins and losses are not directly attributed to him and that eventually they think he has the ability to turn it around with more experience and potentially more weapons and, and more quality, uh, you know, just across the board on this team. Yeah, and that's the hard part just in general around the NFL of new mentality of saying, you know what, we can afford or we choose to now because the college game has gotten closer and closer to the pro level in terms of style. We're going to throw these guys right in. So you have to, you would think, still leave that wiggle room of saying, well, if you didn't play for your first year, how would that mitigate some of those mistakes that you made as you start off your career? So listen, silver lining, friends, something to think about. We continue to be excited about what Daniel Jones can grow into as we play close, pay close attention to what he does over the next you know, 13 games for the New York Giants. So it still does, of course, it is subject to change based on what we see on the field. Let's turn our attention. Oh. Andrew? No, I, I was I was just going to say, and and the, and you know the Giants are committed to Daniel Jones for for at least the the rest of the year. Um, yes. Having someone like Colt Colt McCoy, a veteran leader behind him, it's not like they're looking. You know, Daniel Jones is looking over his shoulder, saying, you know, who's going to replace me if I fumble the ball again? The Giants are invested in Daniel Jones at least through the end of this year. Well, by the way, I'll, I'll touch back on this. Remember that conversation around Josh Rosen and he's out there and the Giants should take a flyer on him? This is the exact reason why you wouldn't want him on the roster if, if you believe in Daniel Jones and you want to be your quarterback because 0-3, the fumble issues, the turnover issues overall still exist there, the offensive line, all these different things, all the, all the issues that the Giants are facing right now, this would be the perfect time for a certain segment of the fan base to say, well, come on, put in Josh Rosen. Let's see if he can give you a spark. And then you effectively end the New York football giant career of Daniel Jones. And you may also effectively not have a career for Josh Rosen and go, okay, moving on friends. So that's, I think why you, why you hesitate to make moves like that. When you see a, a name that maybe sounds bigger than it actually is now. Yeah, but we're not, we're not a junior varsity team here. We don't, we don't give out, you know, awards just because you're, good enough to to start, but there's not someone behind you that's competitive enough or has enough upside to be able to participate in the next game that you're playing. Like I want the best talent we can get. If Daniel Jones ends up not being the guy and, and we keep talking about how we do still believe in Daniel Jones, we have faith in Daniel Jones. I'm okay with bringing in competition, you know, iron sharpens iron, Adam. I want the best players, the ones that have the most upside to come in and compete with each other. And if we're just not going to sign guys because we're worried, like, oh, we may have too many options on the bench to like test out. Like that, that to me would be the wrong reason to not sign someone. I mm -hmm. do understand that we we want to have faith in Daniel Jones and maybe this gives him a longer leash because Colt McCoy is that veteran backup. But I'm at this point, I'm down with bringing in as much talent as we can get on this roster because we are lacking depth at many of our positions. 
iron sharpens iron and rubbing two sticks together can start a fire. That would be my, that's my, that's my response in concern of a move like that. Nevertheless, though, I think it's valid what you're saying. And I, I do understand the idea of competition. Let's switch gears here and talk about some of the roster moves uh, and the, the things that were done here, excuse me, uh, over the course of this past week. Obviously, the waiver wire order reset after week three. The Giants found them in the second position. Before we touch on that, we do mention here that obviously Jabril Peppers left that game, suffered a low ankle sprain, looked to be potentially more severe when he first left the game. Love replaced him. All indications are he should be in line to play this weekend against the Rams. And even if not, if they hold him out for caution, he should be back week five against the uh, Dallas Cowboys ready to roll. So dodging a bullet there in what has been obviously an injury and losing players up and down for the Giants. They're going to keep Peppers hopefully healthier for the remainder of this season. The other areas that we look at, of course, are what the Giants did both on the practice squad and then on the main team. First footnote over on the practice squad is that they brought in a veteran in running back Alfred Morris to the practice squad. Now, there's a couple of moves that were made in conjunction with that. But where do you stand on a move like this, Andy? Does this uh, this excite you? Does this feel like a waste of a move because I think that's really the, the the two sides of the coin are is this a quality veteran you're adding in there what does it mean for some of the other guys that are up there mainly Wayne Gallman I would say and and what does it mean for some of the practice squad players does it speak to the state of the franchise if I were to come out and say I was excited about signing a 31 year old running back to the practice squad I mean yep. let's just let's just call a spade a spade there I am not excited about this. I'm kind of indifferent about it. I mean, there, there's a couple of different ways that you could think about it. One, I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, earlier. I think it just shows that the, the Giants are looking to compete and they want to be able to fill the roster accordingly. So that that's kind of the first thing that I think about. The second thing is I think they're also creating contingency plans to have a running back that can run between the tackles. And so yeah. to your point, if Devonta Freeman doesn't look good or Devonta Freeman gets nicked up or even Wayne Gallman gets injured, they want to be able to have a veteran leader that can step in right away, can can understand how to get you three or four yards when we need it. And so for me, this, this is kind of one of those, well, okay, it's just a little bit of depth. Of course, I'd like a, a younger running back with upside, but we're trying to compete. We're trying to make sure that uh, we have a competent running game for the next 13 games and not necessarily think, well, who could be the third string running back next year behind Saquon Barkley and Deion Lewis? And that's some of what you saw around social media about, I think, the commentary of this is everything that's wrong with the Giants franchise, bringing Alfred Morris to the practice squad as opposed to bringing back Javon Leak. Now, we had talked about Leak and we thought we were excited about him, interested to see what he could have done. But I don't look at a guy who's not currently on a roster as be, you know, if no other team was looking to scoop up Javon Leak even onto the practice squad, that tells you a lot about that player as well. It doesn't mean he doesn't have potential, but it just means that he's no more valuable than any of these other commodities that you may have down on the practice squad. And when you talk about Morris, you think back, listen, he only played at 31, only had uh, one game appearance last year for Arizona, nothing really doing there. But the year prior, you talk about appearing in 12 games, starting one, still gave you 3.9 yards per carry. He's a career 4.3 yards per carry guy. To your point, he's a between-the-tackles guy as well. Like, I... <laughs> I don't want to say I don't want I don't want to get over excited about it, but I think that there is value in this. And to your to your other point about 
the Giants, Joe Judge, they want to stay competitive here. And this is something that I, I've mentioned before that I have to adjust personally about this season. I came in saying, I want all the young guys to play. I want them to take their lumps. I want us to develop and grow. You start to lose players through off-the-field issues, through opt-outs, et cetera, and it, and it changes the mentality. And you're seeing at least that, that this coaching staff and this organization, they're trying to be competitive. And sometimes veteran presence it does help in those small margin areas. And maybe that's what Morris is going to be. Even if it is just solely on the practice squad, maybe he's only there for a couple of weeks and he gets cut. Like we don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm okay taking flyers on a veteran player. Yeah. And I think the giant fans forget what the expectations were coming into this year. We weren't supposed to be a great team. So we wanted yeah. to develop young talent. And then we see what happens when, when we put young talent out there, uh, like, you know, Andrew Thomas, like some of our uh, younger players like Darnay Holmes. And mm-hmm. and you kind of see the lumps that they're taking. And now we're like, well, we stink. We're comp- we're not competitive. We, we, you know, we're so far away. It's like, well, you wanted these guys to get the reps. You knew that they weren't necessarily the veteran, you know, uh, people like someone like Logan Ryan is that, that comes mm-hmm. in and steps mm-hmm. in and can compete right away. So we can't really have it both ways. I know we'd love to be able to develop young talent while still competing, but it's that delicate balance. You bring in sometimes a guy like Alfred Morris to solidify the back end of your practice squad. And people are up in arms saying that this is the state of the franchise, right? Like he's like, he's like the, you know, he's a signing that's, you know, in break, uh, you know, break glass. If, if emergency happens here, right? Like uh, to me, it's, it's not a big deal. (laughs) It's just adding depth. We can move past Al- Alfred Morris and we can start talking about some of the other signings that the Giants had. Yes. And the biggest one that happened this week because of their place in that waiver wire order, they were la- they were able to sign cornerback. Uh, that's going to be, excuse me, as I lose my place here, Madre Harper off of the Raiders practice squad. Now, the reason why it, it may feel a little bit even more significant than you first think is because the Giants actually offered him one, a $25,000 signing bonus in order to lure him away from the Las Vegas Raiders. And then on top of which, he is being brought into the active 53 man roster. So at six foot two, running a 4-4-240 out of college, he offers a little bit of size and length for the Giants potentially on the outside and I'm not I'm not overhyping this one either but what you are seeing is the Giants are still actively searching for the answer in terms of the combination of players that can complete their secondary and you know you can run these guys out for to your point about Bradbury he's played 100% of the snaps the first three weeks you want more guys that are playing a higher rep total as opposed to to parsing them out and trying to mismatch throughout a game well, so the thing with Montre Harper is he has the athleticism that you love to see. He's 6'1". Um, he ran a 4-4-140 uh, during his pro day. Um, and th- the thing that worries me, and I won't get too bent out of shape about this, Adam, is mm-hmm. you know we talk about some of the issues that uh, some of the players that we have drafted have had in the past. You know, you look at DeAndre Baker. There were some red flags coming out of college about him being lazy or, or him, you know, not showing up to practices or do, doing some of those different things. You know, Madre Harper went undrafted because he got drafted out of uh, Southern Illinois. And in 2017, he was kicked off the Oklahoma State team. And, uh, you know, Van, Mike Van Gundy or Mike Gundy, sorry, uh, came out and basically said, yeah, he violated team rules. He stepped out of our culture a little bit. And unfortunately, we have to make tough decisions. And so, it, you know, because we're not giving up too much here in terms of assets where we traded up to take DeAndre Baker in the first round, it's not, you know, a, a criminal, it's not a criminal offense or an indictment on Dave Gettleman to be able to bring someone in like this. But again, it, it, it's just another noteworthy thing to say there are question marks and maybe that's why this guy has fallen. 
Now, can the Giants as an organization kind of put their hands around him and say, hey, maybe we can kind of nurture, you know, that out of you to be able to get that athleticism on the field on game day. But it's just a just a side note that I I, I think is worth pointing out when we just lost a six foot one cornerback with some issues off the field. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. Right. And it's easier to take a flyer on a guy that maybe has some, as they like to say, red flags uh, for himself because it's just bringing him, you know, you're just bringing in a guy on a flyer off a waiver wire. 25 grand is unfortunately by NFL standards a drop in the hat. And, you know, you bring him in, you get to take a look at him and may, listen, maybe you get, you're catching him at a point in his career or to your point, hasn't had any of the issues that we, that, that, that Baker suffered from that ultimately led uh, to the end of what could be the end of his career. We hope not for his sake. Uh, he hasn't faced that. So he still made it to the NFL. He still made it onto a practice squad. And by all accounts, the Las Vegas Raiders weren't looking to lose him from the practice squad. So hopefully he's turned that corner there. The interesting thing for us now, though, is like this, this could be a very much plug it in and, and play because you go back. You mentioned Holmes there earlier where we say we go into the draft. We, we get Holmes. He played on the outside, but they say he's undersized coming from college going to the pros. Now we're trying to get him into the nickel. He has struggled mightily there. You start with Ballantyne on the outside. Then you switch over and you start giving reps to Yatum. Clearly. The Giants don't know what to do across from Bradbury, who I think, you know, in spite of if you go in and look at what the QB rating has been when he's been targeted, that's a little bit higher than you maybe would want it to be. He's done a very strong job in terms of only allowing, I think, sub 43% completion percentage when he's been targeted overall in the first three weeks of the season. He has some nice deflections. He's caused some turnovers. There's consistency there, right? And he's going up against the number one on every roster every week. So now you're just really looking for consistency. And that doesn't mean you have to be elite level or, you know, top 30 cornerback in the NFL, just consistency of we know what we're going to get from you on a play to play series to series basis. And so far, the Giants haven't been able to do that with the current roster guys they brought in and Yadam from Denver. And now we'll maybe see if Harper can be that guy. At the very least, I, I like the length and size. I really beyond that, I won't, you know, I won't lie and say I have a ton of film study on this guy. But it'll be interesting to see when he gets on the field because I think the first thing with any of these guys that we said over the first three weeks is you go eye test, right? And just when you're watching the game, you go, oh, boy, Valentine really getting turned around there. Or, oh, man, why do I keep seeing 30 trailing across the field behind you know, receiver X? And that that is usually the first sign where you say, now let's take a look at those numbers. So if Harper gets on the field this week, we'll keep our eyes open and we'll see what he looks like in what will be a, a difficult matchup against the Rams. Yeah. You know, the way that I think about it is this signing just kind of reaffirms that the Giants don't have that faith in Ballantyne. It just doesn't seem like uh, they look at him as a long-term solution. And they're really just trying to get someone to, you know, be on the opposite side of Bradbury that you said is, is competent that can stand his ground. We know that they're going to give up some plays. There's not just all pro cornerbacks just sitting on the waiver wire that we can, we can scoop up from someone else's practice squad. Um, but so for me, I think uh, I'm more than happy to bring in another guy, see if we can catch lightning in a bottle and, and find someone that can, can stand up to it and, and stay on the active roster. But me, to me, this speaks more about Ballantyne not being in, you know, necessarily in the future plans as of right now, you know, and them thinking about Darnay Holmes as a longer term project because he's struggling a little bit, at, you know, in his first couple of games uh, more than I think it even speaks to Harper himself. 
Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Which is unfortunate. And then you you feather that into the Dave Gettleman situation and and reevaluating his draft selections. And now, if you throw Ballantyne potentially into the mix there, along with a DeAndre Baker, just as being misses. And if you throw in Sam Beal to that category, now cornerbacks have been a real area of struggle for Gettleman to have success through the draft, through the waiver wire, etc., to find a complement across the way from Bradbury. The final piece and really the biggest piece that we wanted to focus on here on the Wednesday show is, of course, the offensive line. You came out this week here and heard from Joe Judge that said, listen, there is work we have to do and we have to improve as a team. Hinted that there could be an opportunity uh, that for a switch up or changes to be made across this offensive line. The key stat to think about in regards to these potential changes are that Daniel Jones has been pressured 41.5% of his dropbacks, which is third in the NFL. So when you talk about as we highlight the start, right? Daniel Jones and what we expect out of this player is he's developing in now, right now, week number four, this officially will mark his second season of games, right? 17th game for him of his career. When you, when you think about it from that standpoint, you want to at least be giving him the opportunity to have success. And right now you're not doing that behind this offensive line. When we look there, Andy, what, what are your, Where's the first spot that you think of that you could see change? I think we we hone in on the same kind of area of this offensive line and a little bit surprising relative to where our, let's say again, eye test would have told us on a week-to-week basis. So until we get this fixed, can we just call our offensive line our offensive line because oh. they are offensive in, right now in terms of giving up pressures to Daniel Jones? Can, can and, we just do that? Andrew, you you are bad, sir. I'm, My I'm goodness. A, I'm a wordsmith, Adam, and, and I can't contain myself. But when we talk about <laughs> where we go on the offensive line, uh, you know, there's there's two areas that that I think uh, you know, we looked at Cam Fleming originally in yeah. week one, he did not play well. I mean, we can we can all admit it. But you know, if you start looking at some of the advanced metrics, he's actually played a little bit better the last couple of weeks. Even though the eye test, you feel like there's rushes off of the, you know, Daniel Jones's right side constantly. You know, when you talk about, you know, we we always say on the show, you know, football focus grades are not the be all end all. They are just one data point in which we use, but they are just a, a good reference point to be able to say where do we think people are compared to our eye test. And right now, mm-hmm. across the offensive line, Nick Gates is the worst ranked uh, offensive lineman at a forty nine point seven, which is not very good. It's it's not even competent. It's not middle of the road. It's it's pretty bad when you talk about, you know, offensive linemen. And Adam, I think, you know, when we talk about Gates, is it that he's still getting comfortable? Is it that he's only played three games as a center and that we need to give him more time there? Or is there something more that you're seeing where you're just saying, you know, we could give him 13 more games at center and it's not going to work here? Yeah, I mean, he he said this week when asked, he's looking forward to the matchup against uh, Donald and saying, hey, listen, as you said, iron sharpens iron. And he, he likes matching up against the best players because it means you get a chance to improve. And that's the way that you get better is taking on those big tasks. Well, I'll answer that question with a bit of a question. Do you think that Will Hernandez is maybe showing significant regression at the left guard position because, to your point, he grades out at a 50.6, and this is kind of speaks to, we're honing in on center and left guard as potentially actually being the biggest issues right now on the offensive line, understanding the growing pains you expected to see from Andrew Thomas. And so, not unlike what you had pointed to often when we spoke about Nate Solder, right? You would always said, 
well, you know, but what's happening alongside these players? How is the, how is the player next to him performing? And that can directly impact him. So if I look at what I've seen from Hernandez over his career to start and what I saw from Nick Gates at right tackle and right guard when he filled in last year, I would say, at least on paper, Nick Gates has already shown the higher upside. Now, he's at a new position, and I wonder if maybe he's being negatively impacted by having a guy who's supposed to, at the very least, and we said this, right, Hernandez is supposed to be the guy that you lean on in the run game. And that's actually been the worst of his two categories. He's actually been really bad in run and actually respectable or decent in pass protection. So I I don't know. That's the really hard part about it. I think that unfortunately, Nick Gates, it was put into a very difficult spot switching positions like this in this offseason. So I would lean over to say you want to give him more time. And yet, there's also ways that maybe you improve this line by shifting pieces. Yes. And this is really the crux of, of our discussion today in terms of, well, if you make a change, where is the change? And now we could be crazy and just say, blow the whole thing up and bring, you know, four or five new guys in and just across the board, let's try the second, uh, you know, the second grouping here. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to be a little bit smarter about the changes that we make. I think you brought up a really good point, Adam, when you talk about Hernandez and how, you know, we talked about how bad Nate Nate Solder had looked. We talked about how Jalapio didn't look great. We talked about how Spencer Pulley didn't look great. Well, the one common thread with all these different guys, you know, Andrew Thomas is struggling a little bit. Nick Gates is struggling a little bit. There is one consistency that sits between both of those positions for the last couple of years, and that is Will Hernandez. And and you know, we're expecting him to to continue to get better, and he's not getting better. He's not. And so, you know, it, you know, this, this is kind of crazy to me that it's been multiple years of seeing Hernandez and we keep saying, we're waiting for the breakout. We're waiting for the breakout. We're waiting for him to mature into a guy that's a stalwart of the, of the offensive line. And to me, he's probably the first area that I go to now when I think about making a move. We, you know, we, we talk about Cam Fleming and, and for all of, of uh, you know, the challenges that we think he has, he may not be a long-term solution. He's a traditional swing tackle that usually is better at plug and plug and play. I would actually leave him out there, you know, and wait for Pert to develop and think about making a change more around Hernandez and seeing if someone like Shane Lemieux, who, who you drafted, can come in and compete. You, you, you really liked what you saw out of Shane Lemieux. We're kind of saying that he, he has the flexibility to move around the offensive line wherever you want. But I'm just curious if we move Hernandez out and Shane Lemieux in, if that actually improves both Thomas and Gates in what they need to be doing on the left side. Mm. You know what? Uh, I, I did not anticipate as we we usually collect ourselves on our show notes and what we're going to go over. But I, I didn't anticipate you going that way with what the adjustment was going to be that you would make to this line. That's not a terrible way to look at it, man. Uh, this is a guy in Lemieux that they think could could be guard or center, right? They potentially you say we test out Nick Gates and if it doesn't work, then we can always sample Lemieux next year at the center position as well. But maybe you're right. You know, the big thing as you were as you were talking about Hernandez there is this isn't year number two. This is year three for him so by this point even a lot of times what we've been saying with young players here is well listen really weird offseason right not a lot of time now it is a new system and that's great but your natural skill set should already be there if you're an offensive lineman in year number three right so that's a really honestly that's a really enticing move man i i don't know you know joe judge and the coaching staff that that that's reflective of where where he was drafted and how the organization feels and staying true to him i think to your point like hey take a chance 
right? Okay, this is year three. You drafted him. It didn't work. Maybe it's not working out. Now, if he comes back strong at some point along the way, good for him. But maybe you catch a little lightning in the bottle with with a with a uh, Lemieux, and it gives you an opportunity to open things up a little bit, especially in the run game. And that's what we think Lemieux can be for this offensive line. That's a man. That's a really that's a really interesting thought. Well, listen, I don't is. know because the other thing that we had, yeah. If if you want to if you want to take this even further, why this makes the most sense of any move across the offensive line is because when I when I talk to Giant fans and I talk to the listeners of the show, they come back to me and they say, "Well, Andy, you know what the easiest thing is? Nick Gates has the worst PFF. Let's kick him out to right mm-hmm. tackle where he showed you know flashes of being more than competent. We'll we'll get Cam Fleming out of there." And we'll bring in our old trusty friend named Spencer Pulley to be at the center position. And that will that will be our resolution. And my answer to that is Nick Gates has a 49.7 PFF rating. He hasn't been great. But guess what? Spencer Pulley last year had a 48.7. We already know what we're getting from Spencer Pulley at the center position. And it's the the downside. It's the lowest end of what we're seeing from Nick Gates after three games of experience. So to me, you know, making that move, it, while Cam Fleming looked ter- you know pretty terrible in week one against the, the Steelers, he's actually started to turn it around a little bit, and the and the analytics are, are proving that out. So for me, trading out Gates for Pulley doesn't really improve the center position, and you're kicking Cam Fleming out to the right, and you're now changing things up with Nick Gates where he's been practicing at center all year long. To keep some consistency around this line, just make the change on Hernandez, who clearly is struggling right now in all facets of the game, especially he's supposed to be strong in the run game. He is not doing that right now. So to mm-hmm. me, the simple answer is trade a like for like. Don't switch all of these different things across the offensive line. And let's see if that helps Gates or it helps Andrew Thomas because they're not getting as much pressure as they were before. Yeah, to your point, people had mentioned too about the, the pressures that Thomas has allowed off that left side there, obviously second most in the league right now, I believe at 13 or 14. And you, and you understand that, you know that those lumps are going to come early in his career, but what what is your what's your plan of switching it? Some people have said so. You put him over at the right side where there's less pressure and he doesn't have to worry about you know developing as much. But to your point, they go okay. But now who are you putting at left tackle? What's your solution there now? You're gonna flip you're gonna flip Ken Fleming over there because he's played okay or respectable. Like you're not solving a problem. You're kind of just moving where the issue lies. On top of that, your point around consistency. When Joe Judge says, "Listen, we may look to make changes." They're not going to rip out three starters. Right. You know, we're putting in Pulley and we're moving Nick Gates. And we're also, by the way, we're moving Nick Gates to left tackle. And then we're flipping Thomas over to right tackle. And we're going to have three guys at three new positions. Doing an incremental switch makes a lot of sense because then you kind of identify. If I take out Hernandez and I put in Lemieux, let's get a little sample size. Let's take a look. How does this develop? Now, I'll do devil's advocate. I I like where you're coming from with it. I will say... You run the risk potentially if you're the Giants of saying, what if Lemieux's not ready, right? What if he's not ready to step in and we burn out a young draft prospect over this sample size because he just starts getting pummeled, right? And we just break the guy. I think that that's okay, by the way. Like, I'm, But I'm just you know putting out that idea of how much do you want to protect these players? Because to that point, I think that if you say you make that switch and it goes even respectively with Lemieux there, I'll say this, the long-term solution over the course of this season, maybe at some point you do see Pert get inserted for Fleming, not about Fleming's play, but just because you're ready to roll into this younger player at right tackle. And then additionally, the extra effort, the extra op- option that you end up getting is Hernandez. You're going to be our swing backup guard now. 
and you're going to start to get reps on at both left and right guard. We know Zeitler isn't long-term for the Giants, so maybe Hernandez develops and you know develops nicely behind him, and then going into big picture next season, you say, hey, Hernandez, you're going to be on the right side now at the guard spot. Maybe that's better for you. Maybe it just works better for you. Now, that's asking a lot of guys switching from one side to the other, muscle memory and all those things, but at least you're giving a chance for Hernandez to still have an opportunity to be a part of this team and, and find a spot here. It's a risk-reward. I don't think that you would say, and I'm super confident in putting in Lemieux, but I think that the Giants at this point at 0-3, we all know the stat lines about what it means for playoff implications, and more importantly than any of that, what we've seen as far as pressure on Daniel Jones. Let's tweak it piece by piece and see what options plug in. You very well may see the Giants and Joe Judge say, this week we're going to give Lemieux a shot, right? Okay, let's see what it looks like. If he plays even close to what we've gotten from Hernandez, not a high bar, he's going to get at least another week or two. If we see that Gates continues to struggle at center, maybe you do see Pulley, even though I wouldn't prefer it, maybe Pulley does get a run there to see if those connection of players work better. Who works the best as the collection of offensive linemen? The only other wrinkle I guess you could throw in there is to say we theoretically thought that Lemieux was going to become a center. It was going to become a center out of as a guard at a college. And I wonder if, depending how long they go, and if Hernandez tweaks or gets better at all, then you would say, if we don't see the results from from Nick Gates, technically you could look that direction as well. I think that that's a too big a burst reward, and I also think it's easier to judge and feel like it's a known thing with Hernandez right now. I feel like it's too early to know what Nick Gates is at center after a position change. Well, and and also Nick Gates has had just a pandemic offseason to get ready to be yeah. a center. And yeah. the Giants liked his, what they saw from him in camp enough to give him a contract extension. So, you know, for for him, he, he's kind of locked in at so, as a piece of this offensive line. You know, albeit it's it's not uh, crippling financially for the New York Giants if they ever needed to move on from Nick Gates. But they've invested in him and three games isn't going to fully change that they're invested in Andrew Thomas three games of hurries isn't going to change that for me this is like you said year three of Hernandez if he's not getting the job done in the thing that he's supposed to excel at then we need to look other places and I'm fine with Shane Lemieux potentially being center but you already paid the money to Nick Gates to be there you haven't committed long term to Hernandez to me that's the easiest simplest like for like transition the Giants can do without taking all this and throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like to, to me, let's make one adjustment. Let's see if it has an impact across the entire offensive line and, and, and hope for the best. You know, the last footnote that I'll give about the offensive line, because we haven't really mentioned Zeitler's name very much Mm -hmm. is that he is struggling in terms of his standards as well. He's a, he's a 64.8 on the pro football focus ratings. I believe he's never been lower than a 71. So he's significantly lower than what we we expect from Zeitler, but because everywhere else has holes, you know, he ends up looking like the best one in terms of, of grading, but certainly not to the level that we expect from him. And Adam, my question to you is, is that just a product of everyone around him struggling so much that he's not getting a chance to just do his one job? Or is it, you know, a regression that we should be worried about? 
I, I would I would tend to think that because you just brought in Cam Fleming again, we would beat beat this thing <laughs> the entire episode here. No random off season, not the traditional one. So how much continuity do you have with Cam Fleming? And then, even though you have familiarity with Nick Gates having played at right tackle, he's now on your left side at the center position. So continuity may be an issue there, and the fact that he's still playing pretty solid while we're talking about Nick Gates struggling early on, I, I, I tend to lean in the direction of. This is a product of the guys around him right now trying to get their feet underneath them and feel comfortable around it. So I, I, I'm willing to I, – I give him the season. Because to your point about making the change, what you do then have is, of course, would be rookie in Andrew Thomas at left tackle, rookie in Shane Lemieux at left guard, and first-year center in Nick Gates at, in the middle of this line. So you would be talking about putting a lot of young talent out there, but – as I said in, in, in the preseason, as I said through training camp, the second that Pert shows you enough to be even close to what Cam Fleming is, you make that switch this season because you want to get him those reps. And if you're telling me that Fleming's been you know, serviceable and all right, as soon as you think that Pert can be serviceable and all right this year, you put him in as well. And then you're talking about having all the young talent, all these young players that you drafted, getting experience this year and understanding it's not about what we're doing this season. But then maybe by week 13, 14, 15, all of a sudden you say, boy, look how our running game has kind of come around with some of these guys. Look how the protection, the pressure percentages has dropped over the course of the season on Daniel Jones. So that's what you're looking for with some of these moves. And you have to be willing to 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 risk something to get the reward of it. And it may be risking losing Hernandez because, by the way, third year drafting the second round, it means you can pick up his fourth year option, right? If that's how I'm pretty sure that's how that contract works out. If you're in the first round, you get that extra year of control. So by being in the second round, that you're coming up on it. So you know where are you in terms of staying committed and invested in Hernandez? You have to be willing to evaluate everything and know that that changes you maybe didn't expect last year could be coming sooner than we anticipated. No risk it, no biscuit, Adam. That is the name of the game. And and you know what? Always what what they say. They always say that about the biscuit. And and you know what? The last thing I'll say about the offensive line, there is concerns if you do decide to put in Lemieux how young the left side is. But guess what? Last year, we had veteran leader Nate Solder on the left side. We had second year promise out of Nick, you know, uh, out of Will Hernandez. Then at the center position, we had stalwarts like John Halapio and Spencer Pulley in there. And guess what? We were not very good. So for so for me, it's like, okay, we could have more veterans, but at this point, if we're already looking for the future, let's get these guys out there and see what we have and know with a lot of um, dollars in the free agent market whether or not we need to address the position again or if we have something for the future. And to me, the biggest indictment or red flag around Hernandez is that you had Solder and you had Jalapio and you didn't look so good. Now you have Thomas and now you have Gates and you look even worse. And you can say it's impacted by the guys around you, but I can still also look just at you. And I can say that it's not going so well. The same way you look at Zeitler and you go, listen, does he look a little bit, is the numbers not look as strong this year? Maybe, but he hasn't fallen off a cliff the way that we're seeing from Hernandez. So unfortunately, that could be a swing and a miss. And at that point, you'd be talking about some real indictments around Dave Gettleman and reconstructing that offensive line and just what's happened up to this point. Maybe by the end of the year, we're talking about the Thomas's Lemuse and Perts of the world and everything looks a lot different as far as how we feel about our, uh, I don't know, our, our, our on the hot seat <laughs> GM is probably putting it lightly. Wouldn't it be ironic if the hog mollies end up doing in David Gettleman?
Oh God! Well, listen. Ironic for him, yes, but from a Giants fan's perspective, it would irony would not be the first word that came to mind. It would, you know, something around uh, dumpster and lit matches. That would be borderline where I was at. Uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll get out of here on that. That's what, I knew we were going to spend a lot of our time talking about this offensive line. We'd be really interested to see if any of these changes come. To Joe Judge's point, he was saying as we work our way through the week of practice, if someone's showing it then we're, they're going to get the shot. So whether it is Shane Lemieux getting a look here, and by the way, I don't know what the, the, the switch-up could be. This is actually the last wrinkle I want to throw out. I'm sorry that we have to circle back to it. If if you think that Shane Lemieux is best suited to slide into right guard, would you flip-flop Zeitler over to the left side? Now, I know what you're talking about, about continuity, but I'm just thinking about saying, if we feel like Zeitler's drop off is really about gates getting better and what Fleming is doing. Just talking about trying to get the right combination that offers you the best ability for every player. So maybe Zeitler then in turn helps Thomas right on the left side. And then Fleming as a veteran is helping Lemieux on the right side that now that's multiple spots. And I'm not a, I'm not an automatic there. I don't go. And that makes a lot of sense because swapping, swapping positions like that for players is not an easy task. But it's just something that I do start to marinate on here in terms of trying to spread out and mitigate the risk reward of young players on the line. Uh, my my simple answer to that is I want to diagnose the problem and not just put band-aids across the offensive line. If we take a like-for-like like move with Hernandez for Shane Lemieux, we will very quickly see whether or not that is the problem. It, it's you know, it's like running tests and diagnostics to see if that is the issue. Because yeah. if Shane Lemieux struggles and he looks like Hernandez and, and Gates continues to struggle and Thomas continues to struggle, then okay, it's not just Hernandez. But if things do change and it does look good for Shane Lemieux, we've identified the area that we needed to fix. We've made changes and across the offensive line, we've gotten better. So I wouldn't shake things up and move multiple positions around just yet yeah. because then you don't know which is the causation or the correlation when you start making some of these different moves. Yep, no, hundred percent. So, but this is this is the way my mind goes. The wheels start to turn, and I start playing musical chairs with the entire offensive line. And before you know it, I've got uh, Cam Fleming at center. You know, that's that's. A, <laughs> if you give me enough time, I can get there. You'll talk all... yourself into it. Yes, you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, that being the case, I can tell, friends, by the empty moose cup of coffee. That's all the time we have. We will, of course, be back in on Friday. We'll highlight the uh, Rams matchup. We'll have our surprise guest crossover content there as well. So join us for that. Follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast and over on Sportscaster Live streaming three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. And, of course, download, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get those sweet, sweet needs fulfilled. And as Andrew Makowitz would like you to know. As always, let's go Big Blue. Bang!